So if you open your Bibles to the book of the Revelation of Christ, in um, Revelation chapter 1, today I'm going to read actually verses, look at verses 4 through 8. So before we do, let us um, go to our Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gifts that you've given us. We thank you for this word. We pray that you would enable us to understand that we would be your servants, and that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to obey. So bless now the preaching and, and receiving of your word. And we pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. So the revelation to John, uh, Revelation chapter 1, beginning in uh, verse 4, the word of the Lord. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, <clears throat> grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Amen, the word of the Lord. And so what we see at the beginning of Revelation is the triune God visiting with his people. You see an exaltation of who God is. You see, it even feels as, as I'm reading it, and hopefully as you read it and as you hear it, it's like you're, it's, you're on holy ground. This is uh, an exposition of who God is and other things about God. And what we're going to see is there's, there's three main sections here. One talks about God the Father and then um, the Holy Spirit and then God the Son. And then God the Father, we'll see, is the confidence of our grace and peace. Because he opens this grace to you and peace from, which is... A traditional opening in a, a Greek letter. It's a little different than the typical Greek letter would be, but Paul opens letters like this as well. So it's grace and peace to you. And sometimes the Holy Spirit is left out. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's like, well, some of the letters of Paul, people have said, well, where's the Holy Spirit? And it has been said, he is the grace and peace. He is the one that allows us to hear these things. But here in the book of Revelation, um, John and the Holy Spirit who is inspiring this to him from Jesus Christ wants us to see all three persons of the Trinity. He wants us to see particularly the working here of the Holy Spirit, not to be left out because without the working of the Holy Spirit, the church has nothing. The church is worldly at best. But as we look at the Father, we're gonna see the confidence of our grace and peace, the fact that we can surely have grace and peace because of who the Father is. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is the instrument of our grace and peace. He's the means by which that grace and that peace comes to us. And then third, with the Son, He is the one who purchased 
that grace and peace for us. He secures the covenant for us by his body and by his blood, that he is also our grace and peace. And so in verse 4, John, he is the one who is the, the writer of this letter. And he says, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Now that's Asia. One of the things you do with biblical interpretation is what did the words mean when they were written? And Asia then is today the area we call Turkey. So these are areas um, around um, churches in this area of Turkey. And there are seven of these churches. Now what you're going to see in the book of Revelation is this is a symbolic book. And so what you have to do is say, all right, we've got seven churches. What does that mean? Well, and what we're going to see is there are seven literal churches that he writes to. And these are actual churches that did exist at the time. Then he's writing to them. And as we get to these seven letters, what we're going to see is um, each of these churches had particular characteristics. And, and John uses these characteristics of these churches to make individual points about these churches. Um, for example, the lukewarm church um, was known for having um, hot springs and, and cold springs. Or I, I think that that particular church, it was like, see, I'm jumping ahead of myself. I make sure I, I read all these things. It was like the water, it was like if it's lukewarm, it was just nasty and they couldn't use it. And so that was a problem at, at that, in that city. And so God uses that as an example to point out something about lukewarmness and we should not be that way. But also what we're going to see, because the number seven, it's say, all right, book of symbols. Um, it's, it, what does, does, the, does the number seven represent anything? And yes, the number seven represents something. It represents completeness and fullness. Um, Genesis, the creation days. God created in the space of six days and all very good, and he rested on the seventh day. So we have a cycle of seven, a complete cycle, and it repeats again. So seven is a number of completion. Um, in Exodus, as you're sprinkling the blood on the throne, seven times you were to sprinkle the blood upon um, the, the, the altar. And that's a number of completeness. And so seven churches represent seven actual churches, but it also represents the totality of the church. So all of the church, and also all the church through all the ages. So we see the same thing when Paul's writing letters to a particular church, like in Galatia. Uh, well, he's writing to that church, so why do we care what it says? Because there's timeless truths that we need to learn about the gospel and about, about Jesus and about how churches should operate and function from what he wrote to them. Same thing with this. So this letter was not just written to those seven churches and for them to take it and tear it up and be done with it but that it would be read throughout all the churches through all time. And so this revelation is written to the church, and you're going to see as we go through this that it bears that out. Um, and so what does he say? He says, grace to you and peace. Grace being undeserved favor. Actually, in biblical terms, it's we deserve terrible things. We deserve God's uh, wrath, but instead what we get is his love and his blessing. We deserve curse, but we get blessing. It's not just you don't deserve anything. It's that, you know, you got pulled for speeding, you deserve a ticket, and instead you get like a check for $20 or something, or a $20 bill. It's like, no, that's the opposite. And we don't even like to look at grace like that, because if the police pulled you over for speeding and they gave you $20 every time they did, we'd all go a little faster, you know, make a little money out there. But, um, so we, grace can't be like that. But it is, because what grace also does is it gives us his Holy Spirit. 
so that he does what a police officer can't do. He can't give us a new heart to cause us not to want the speed anymore. So when we're pulled over, the, the idea would be you'd be so grateful, and sometimes you are if you just get a warning, you're so grateful that you won't speed ever again. But, you know, that's the last, you know, until you get your next ticket, I guess. And then, you know, but with the Holy Spirit coming to our lives, we get goodness, but we don't use that as a, a thinly veiled excuse for sin, but we see the joy in it, we see the glory in it, we see the beauty in it, and then we have a, a, a new um, a new heart set up within us so that we do desire to do better things. And then, so this grace comes to us, but also this peace. In Philippians 4, Paul talks about that. He says, you know, that we're to be anxious for nothing, but in all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And so that's a prayer, a blessing from the Holy Spirit, from God the Father, from God the Son, to us, that we would have grace and that we would have peace, this inner peace, which only God can give. So this is grace and peace to you. And then he says, from, and has this word from three times. And it begins from him who is and who was and who is to come. Now, what you should notice there is it should say, <clears throat> grammatically, it would say, um, from him who is, who was, and who will be. That would be the you know, past, present, future tense of the to be words. And the same thing in Greek. So it's this change that takes place. So that it is the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come, which does look to the future, but what he's telling us is God is coming. This isn't just that he's going to continue, but there are things that he is going to reveal in Revelation. There are things that he will continue to reveal um, to, his, to his church through his word by the Holy Spirit, and that there is a coming of God, that he will continue to come and to meet with his people too. As we come to the table, we know that Christ is with us even then, but we serve a God who has not left us and abandoned us and who will, who, who's never coming back, for he is indeed coming back. But there's also an interesting thing here, because one of the things we're going to see in the book of Revelation is a lot of how do we make use of the Old Testament. So as you're reading the Old Testament, you do have to do a little more research. You have to do a little more studying. If you have a good study Bible and you have notes, but you know, you be careful with notes because that's only one source of information. But we're going to see the book of Revelation makes a lot of use of the Old Testament. And so this is one of the places right at the very beginning. Grace to you and peace from him who is. Now here's your Greek. Apa, A-P-O, basically. Apa, ha, hon. Okay, that's all it is. From ha, on, the one who is. Now why do I go and read Greek? And it's because the Bible that Jesus and his disciples would have had, the Old Testament that they had, was called the Septuagint, and it was written in Greek. It was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. So this is what they were reading. So when they would open up their Bibles and they would turn to... Um, sorry, I know I had Exodus... Chapter 3, so if you want to turn there, Exodus chapter 3 real quick. Exodus 3 verse 14. We'll start in verse 13. Moses says to God, you know, this is at the, um, the burning bush. 
and he's meeting with God there. And Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So this is where God's name, which is in essence who he is, and he's just saying, you know, I am who I am, or I am that I am. I am as share I am is what it says. It's I am which I am. <clears throat> and in the Greek, what you would have read is ego eimi ha on. All right, so when Jesus says before Abraham was, I am, in Greek he said before Abraham was, ego eimi, which they realize that's not saying, he's not saying I was. He says before Abraham, I am. He's using God's name. But this also is the second part of that. Ego mon, ego me, ha on. And that's what it says here. Apo ha on. So he's saying is, this is the one that was being revealed in the burning bush. This is that name. So if you were reading John and you knew your Old Testament, which he assumed all these people would be reading and studying, especially in Exodus, especially the burning bush, when you see this in Greek, you would have read that in Greek and you would make that connection and say, this is someone who's in the burning bush. This is God. So he is the one who is and he was and he is coming and so this points clearly to God the Father and then next it says from the seven spirits who are before his throne now this is the Holy Spirit but why do they go and make this plural like it's seven spirits and we're gonna look at that um, briefly here but again it's the fullness of the Holy Spirit and he's before the throne of God and this is what empowers the church is the Holy Spirit. So if you turn with me, find Zechariah, and it's toward the end of the Old Testament. All the prophets are, are put together there. So it's Zechariah, um, chapter 4. It's beginning in verse 1. Some of these Old Testament prophets can be a little harder to find, but... A little bit of memorization, you can get them in there. Zechariah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. The angel who talked with me came again and woke me, like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? And he said, I see a lampstand, all of gold with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. And then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, 
and he shall bring forward the top stone and shouts of grace upon it. And then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. And so what we see here in this is the seven lamps in the Holy of Holies, in, in the holy place, you had the showbread and you had the menorah, you had the lampstand that had seven branches on it. And it represents the light of the Holy Spirit, the light of the gospel. And here you see in verse 10, this, these seven are the eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. So we have these are the seven spirits. So this is going back to the Old Testament and picking up on this idea of who the Holy Spirit is. And you can see it symbolically, see him symbolically listed as number seven, the seven eyes of the Lord, the complete seeing that everything God sees, everything God does and actuates in this world is through the power and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And then we get to Jesus Christ in verse five. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now the first place we want to go to see, okay, what are these things is Psalm 89. So if you look at Psalm 89, Psalms is a little easier to find. Psalm 89. And it's two verses. Psalm 89, verse 27. And this particular Psalm is talking about David. So in the context, if you go Psalm 89, 19, he says, Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to the one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. That's King David of the Old Testament. With my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike those down who hate him my faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him and in my name shall his horn be exalted I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers and he shall cry to me you are my father my God and the rock of my salvation and I will be I will make him the firstborn the highest of the kings of the earth and that's two of the indications we see here the first one Jesus Christ in verse, in Revelation 1, he makes him, I lose my place, the firstborn of the dead. And here he uses this word, I will make him the firstborn. And now they add that word of the dead, which is interesting. So we'll look at that in a second. And the ruler of the kings of the earth. And he puts in verse 27 in Psalm, the highest of the kings of the earth. And then in verse 37, well, let's go a little bit further. My steadfast love, verse 28, I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. This is God promising by his promise and commandment and 
covenant that he will always have a descendant of David on the throne. Jesus Christ is a descendant of David and he is on the throne. And then the psalmist goes through are these different sure things that will show that God will do this. In verse 34, I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the sky, the skies. And this is what we see here, that Jesus Christ is called the faithful witness. He is the faithful witness. He is the sure and promised hope of Israel. He, every promise of God is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So that Jesus Christ is the one who enables all the promises of God to be held, and he is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. So when we look at this in verse 5, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness... He is the one who witnesses to the covenant. He is the one who witnessed to God. And he is the one who lived life perfectly himself and the firstborn of the dead. The firstborn, that word there means this is the one that inherits everything. The firstborn, he inherits from the father. And what we learn from God is he is the firstborn and where? From the dead. So it's not just he was firstborn, but he's the firstborn of the dead. He died, he conquered death, and now he is the firstborn. When we die in him, death has been conquered and we shall live again. In the Apostles' Creed, which we read this morning, we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body. That is not just talking about we believe Jesus Christ uh, rose. That is, we believe in our resurrection. That we believe that we too will be resurrected because Jesus Christ died and he rose again. He is the firstborn of the dead. So that in our death, as we've died in him already, we already have life. There is the sense in which we are already in heaven. We are already in possession of this new life. But there's a phrase that's been used in theology called the now and not yet. We now have inherited blessings, but we've not yet inherited the fullness of all of these blessings. We now experience peace and grace, but we have not yet inherited all of the peace and grace. And some of the errors in our churches today can be from thinking that the promises that are ultimately to be had in heaven are all to be completely given to us in this life. And that is not the case. We today will have suffering. We're to pick up our cross and follow him. And if believers are called to bear a cross and follow him, then that cannot mean that God has promised to bless us with every material blessing. Because then where's the cross? And so he has said we will be persecuted. He has said we will have problems. We will have issues in this life. We will have disease. We will have sorrow. We will have persecution. We will have trials. And it doesn't sound like a very uplifting message. It'd be a much better message to say, you know what? He's going to heal all your sicknesses. But that's not extremely encouraging because then when you get sick, it's just because you don't have enough faith. Well, isn't that frustrating? It all comes back to me and my power and my ability and my faith. And that's not what baptism says. Baptism says... I will wash you. I will cleanse you. I will bring you in. It's not what the Lord's Supper says. The Lord's Supper says, yeah, we are to take. We are to eat. But it is me who feeds you. It is me who brings you back to life. It is me who helps you through these things as you bear your cross. I'm with you. I'll be with you to the end. 
and that's the promises of God. The ruler of the kings of the earth. So that's government. That's a bad kings, good kings. It doesn't matter. He is king of kings, lord of lords. He rules over everything. There is nothing that happens. As R.C. Sproul has said, there's not one rogue molecule in the universe because if there's one rogue molecule outside of God's control, then how do you know that's not going to be the molecule that throws everything out of control? He rules over kings. So why does he allow evil kings to do tremendously evil things? It's because we live in a cursed world and God knows best. And you get to heaven, you want to ask him that question? Make sure you don't do it in an accusational tone. <laughs> Make sure you ask, you know, show me. Yeah, and I think maybe God, you, how much are we able to, I mean, that's why you're in heaven for eternity, possibly, if we do even concern ourselves with things of this world like that. But just to know that it would probably take an eternity for God to explain to us the fullness of all the things that he has allowed to come about for all these purposes. Like, why does God allow bad things to happen? Why does God allow evil? Um, and a lot of it, some of the answer at least, is so that he can demonstrate his love and his mercy and his grace. If it wasn't for evil, then you would have no idea what forgiveness is. If nobody ever did anything bad, there'd be no need for forgiveness. So we understand how deep the Father's love for us when we begin to understand how little we deserve that love. And then we get a little bit of an image of evil is worse than I imagined it was. And maybe we need to see pictures and images of actual evil in our world so that we understand that the, the evil that we think we simply scratch into is um, so much worse than we can possibly imagine. And if we do indeed believe that evil is as evil as it is and we are disgusted at times with God, maybe non-believers particularly. It's funny how non-believers are mad at God. So, that, you know, he, why does he allow all this bad stuff? The next question should be is, well, if it's so bad, why do you do bad stuff? You know, I mean, we, 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 we're quick to blame God for things, and yet we're, we take ourselves and, and give us, you know, slack for it. But he's the ruler of kings. So whatever happens, Joe Biden, Trump, Bush, Reagan, Saddam Hussein, Hitler, Mussolini, all these guys in heaven after in the judgment day, they don't have much to answer for. And so shall we if we're outside of Christ. He is king of kings. And then it says, to him. Now, it kind of can sound like it's saying, you know, this is from, you know, it's grace and peace to you from God. And then he starts talking about Jesus Christ. Now he's going to say, and to him is going to be glory and dominion and honor forever. And he goes through these, these things here that he says. Um, oh, this is important. Before we leave firstborn of the dead, you have to go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. So New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. Philippians, Colossians. G-E-P-C. Colossians 1. Read 15 through 20. This is who Jesus is. And it uses the same word firstborn twice. Firstborn of the dead is actually in this phrase too. <clears throat> that phrase is in here too. It's speaking of Jesus Christ. He is the image 
of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That means that he might have the glory, and the, he is to be first in all things. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so the blood of his cross, that was his sacrifice. All the covenants had to be certified with blood. For if you broke the covenant, your blood would be shed. Jesus shed his blood for the new covenant. So there's no more blood to be shed. The penalty's been paid. Now there's only the blessing of the covenant. And so that's how he is the firstborn of the dead. His blood has been shed. Blood is very important. And when we see being washed by the blood of Christ, it actually comes from the book of Revelation too, speaking in this way. So then he goes into a, a doxology for God. To him who, and this is the things about, about God, to him who, who loves us. Now that's encouraging. He, he loves us. Um, there's a thing we were talking about a while back, and it's like, I know he loves me, but does he like me? And this love includes that. And for some reason, um, I think it means more to us to hear, you know God loves you, but does he like you? You know, I mean, think about that. I mean, it's different. Love is deeper than like. But there's ways in which the way we use it, it's like you might love your children, but do you like them? You know, it's like, uh, does God like you? So I think you can say, of course, he, he doesn't like me. He loves me. Okay, wonderful. Can you say both? Because he does. He, he, he enjoys your presence. He, he, there's things about us that he is going to put to death. There's things that are going to be burnt up when we go into heaven that won't enter into heaven with us. But there's things about us, about the essence of who we are in Christ. And as Dr. Kelly, and I've mentioned this before, and I think he's right about it, has said, it's quite likely there's something about you that images Christ in a way that nobody else quite does. So there's an aspect of his son that God sees in you that he doesn't see in anybody else. Whatever it is that makes you who you are. And so that there is this love. And so not only is he loves us and it's not loved past tense he loves this is ongoing but what he did past tense was he freed us from our sins as we just read in colossians by his blood he freed us from our sins so what's the opposite of being free you're either there's two aspects you're enslaved and you're condemned so he freed us from both of these things. We're no longer condemned by our sins, and we're free from our sins. You, you do not, as a believer, have to sin anymore. But we will. But I hate that caveat, because it sounds like we're given an excuse. But <laughs> you still have the flesh, and there's still going to be a battle, and we're still weak, and so we still need the grace of the Holy Spirit. The only way you can go without sinning is purely and wholly by the grace of God with the Holy Spirit operating in and through you. But we're told to cooperate with that grace. That's why in the Lord's Supper again we're told to come to take to eat. 
You're supposed to be taking eating of this right here now. This is God filling us. But you're supposed to be here for it. You're supposed to go home and meditate on this and pray about this and read this and read the word and encourage one another. You're supposed to do more than just this. It's, it's the preaching of the word. It's observing and participating in baptism. It's observing and participating in the Lord's Supper and prayer. The means of grace that we have. Being in his word prayerfully by faith and so that what we know is baptism is the mark of the covenant and if you receive that mark of the covenant and you enter in the covenant with God but have not faith you are condemned because you're not united to him and that is our condition of the new covenant is our faith if you come to the Lord's table but have not faith you are eating condemnation to yourself it's faith and where does this faith come from from God himself the author of our salvation the one who's given us this gift as a faith but our role that is only possible through the concurrent work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to take and eat and dig and pray and minister and forgive and ask and do all the stuff you see that we're told to do in the Bible but if you do that without faith you just become Pharisees and you start killing people and so it's only by faith that we can do these things, that we've been freed by his blood. And then he made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. And so let's look at that for just a moment. What does it mean that we've been made a kingdom and priests? And what priests do are they, they serve God they serve the people on behalf of God. So it's the priesthood of believers. We don't have a person other than Jesus Christ. There's no physical person. I'm not your priest. Um, you, you, you don't have to go to a priest who then goes to Christ. Jesus Christ is the high priest. And then we are all priests because we are all in this kingdom. And there's a sense in which that word even, even kind of means you're all kings. That we're many kings under, under the big king. That this is what we're supposed to do here on earth. We rule here. And we don't rule in such a way that we can command storms to stop and we can command miraculous things to occur. And if God wills that, then that can happen. But what it means is you're to tend and care for the garden. We're to tend and care for the kingdom. That we are to be lights. We are to be recreating this chaotic world that has happened because of the curse. We're to be bringing it back into shalom. And the shalom is the taking of all this stuff and you're starting to kind of get it all sorted out. I'm trying to think of something that you dump out and you try to get it. It's like puzzle pieces. You at least got to start flipping them over first and then you order them by, you know, you start somewhere. I know what I always think about is Christmas vacation. And Rusty, Clark gives Rusty that big old ball of tangled up Christmas lights. Here, Rusty. <laughs> got this giant thing. It's like, where do you, that's what, that's what our life a lot of times. Where do you start? And you just you got to start somewhere, and so you begin. But it's the working of the Holy Spirit within us that enables the desire, it enables the working of it, it enables the ordering of it. We're called in God's glory to participate in his working in this world. And you can't do it without faith, and you can't do it without him, which is why he gives us the Lord's Supper. You need me. You must have me. Take and eat. So this idea of this kingdom. So let's look real quick. Exodus... 19, beginning of verse 3. So second book of the Bible, Exodus 19. 
beginning in verse 3. So Moses went up to guide, and the Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and to the house of the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel so Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him all the people answered together and said all that the Lord has spoken we will do and Moses responded to the people um, from the Lord and the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So this is the Old Covenant. This is the Mosaic Covenant. And God says to the people that he brought out of Egypt, that he's out of slavery, he's bringing to the promised land, if you will continue and do all the things I tell you to do, then you'll remain here forever. And they said, we'll do that, every one of us. And they didn't. They broke that covenant. So now there's only condemnation in the Mosaic Covenant. But it's all the people had. So they still have to obey these things until Christ the Savior comes. And then the old is gone. The new is here. The promises made to Abraham can now be fulfilled because that Mosaic covenant was broken. And look what he's done here in Revelation. He was going to make them a kingdom of priests. They blew it. They completely blew it. But Jesus Christ did not. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law perfectly and all the promises of the covenant become yes and amen in him. So then he is the creator the new covenant he is the sacrifice of the new covenant he is the faithful israelite he is the one who is the faithful witness he is the righteous one and we get his righteousness meaning you kept the covenant in god's eyes you have kept the covenant now you get to come to his table and you get to renew this covenant with christ with god the father every time and we have been made the kingdom priests Israel finally became what it was meant to be. And the Gentiles, all the tribes of the earth, we get to be a part of that. We've done what Israel is supposed to do, draw all the nations to it. But it couldn't because only Jesus Christ, through the, Christ, the risen spirit of Christ, was going to be able to do that as he's doing today through the church. So we are spiritual Israel. We are all the promises that were given to Israel continue to be given to spiritual Israel which is the church we've been engrafted into that we don't replace Israel we get engrafted into Israel I'm not talking about physical Israel God made it very clear that he was saying that not everyone who is born of Abraham are children of Abraham I can raise up children of Abraham from these rocks which he did with us and he's made us a kingdom priest was God he has fulfilled the purposes that God has meant from the beginning and kingdom means rule, and priest means that we have rule in complete communion with God, the Father, and then to Him be glory and dominion. And that's that rule word. So, yes, we're a kingdom. Yes, we're a priest. But the glory doesn't go to us. The glory goes to God. The rule belongs to God. The dominion over all things is to God forever. And ever, and then John has to just add the amen. 
which means yes, truly. And then he says, behold, he is coming. He is the one who is, who was, and is coming. And he says he is coming with the clouds. And that's from Daniel. You can look it up later. Daniel 7, 13 through 14, where it's talking about the Son of Man. Oh, I've got to read it. All right. I've got a couple minutes. Daniel. Find Jeremiah's after the Psalms. You go keep moving. Ezekiel. Then you find Daniel. If you don't go too far. Daniel chapter 7. Because I want you to see is, I'm going to read Daniel 7, 13 to 14. I saw in night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all the people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which shall never pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's what he's talking about here. And he came in the clouds. When did, all right, think about this. This might be paradigm shifting a little bit. Jesus is, is going to come with the clouds. This, in Daniel 7, is talking about Christ's ascension after his resurrection, which he did this. Look what it says. The clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented to him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and peoples and nations and languages. They should serve him. That has already happened. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He rules now. That doesn't mean he's not coming back. Because what we see here is he is coming with the clouds. So he has already ascended to heaven. And this is a quote from Daniel. And in Daniel, he's talking about the ascension of, of God. And now he's using that same verse to talk about coming to us. And so what he wants us to see is how Jesus Christ, this is all about God. It's all about God the Father. It's all about the Holy Spirit. But for us, really, it's just all about the work of Jesus Christ and the kingdom that we have in Jesus Christ. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, which is from Zechariah chapter 12 which is talking about you will see him who you pierced and every tribe will mourn. And now it says all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And what this is meaning is that on account of all the tribes of earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. It's like anyone who's ever lived, there are those who lived then and the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, there were people living then that actually did pierce him, that saw the destruction of Jerusalem and the coming of Christ on the clouds as the new covenant is being issued in. But there's also a future coming. So what you're gonna see is there's lots of, in, the, in prophecy, there are things that occur physically that also point to something that's going to happen later again physically and this is one of those things you had the destruction of Jerusalem but it didn't end there it's going to end with what the new Jerusalem coming down from the heavens and this is what we have happening even now as Jesus Christ continues to come and descend upon us with his Holy Spirit as he continues to fill us as he continues to grow us as he continues to take us into his word and to take us more deeply in him and all the nations of the earth who do not bend the knee to him will wail on account of him, will mourn on account of him because they did not bend the knee and they did not call the name of Christ as Savior. So we must make sure we have done that and we must make sure that we call others to do that as well. It's not 
a sales job and technique to convince people to come to church because it's a better life for them. It is a commandment to bend the knee to King Jesus. It is a commandment that the one is coming who will set all things right. He will punish the wicked and reward the righteous. And you're only righteous if in Christ. And he has come that we might not die but have eternal life. And just present the gospel the way the Bible does. And it ends in verse 8 in this section. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. First, A and Z, first and last letter of the alphabet, in the Greek alphabet. I am the beginning, I am the end. Who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Pantocrator, that's the Greek word. I just like the way it sounds. Sounds Pantocrator. That means the almighty. Pine is all. Krator is power. All powerful. Almighty God. I am the first. I am the last. I am the one who is. I am the one who was. I am the one who is to come. The almighty. He's got it under his control. All we have to do is trust through the difficult times remain faithful in the good times and to continue to stay focused on him because he's called us to himself and we're going to come to the Lord's table in a minute and he's promised to be with us and fill us and continue to um, be with us because he loves us. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are and for revealing yourself to us. We know that there are people who reject you and it's, they, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. And all you've called us to do is cast the seed, cast the seed, to share the gospel, to speak the word because you tell us that faith, if it's going to come, it's going to come by hearing and hearing is only going to come through Jesus Christ. So we preach and we proclaim Jesus Christ. Help us to, to get that message down in our own hearts so that we can have a spirit of living water flowing out of ourselves onto others, that they might see our good deeds and glorify you. They can see our light too, but it all points to you, for to you is all dominion and power forever and glory. Amen.